0: Accomplishment Coaching is proud to present the following fine programming. Accomplishment Coaching, where coaches lead and leaders coach. Accomplishmentcoaching.com.
1: Welcome to the Coaching Show with your host, Master Certified Coach Christopher McCollum.
0: Hello, and welcome, dear listener. (laughs) another edition of the Coaching Show. My name is Christopher McAuliffe, Master Certified Coach. I've been a coach for, uh, gosh darn it, it's gonna be 13 years next year and that's too too long. I'm here with Alex Terranova, my my partner, my better half, my friend, my colleague, my irritant. What, what do we call you? you said all the right words except for romantic ones <laughs> there, there's you're not romantically linked as far as i know although there may be possibility some possibility
2: exists new possibilities <laughs> exist
0: every day alex terranova is the proprietor of uh, not only his own podcast but also he's uh the founder of the dream mason you can find him on the web at thedreammason.com or instagram i hear is very popular and he's at inspirational alex um Anything that you want to share before we bring in our guest today? Any, any banter,
2: any interesting anecdotes? Yeah, well, I just launched something new and I'm curious what you think, because you liked the last thing I launched. So we, we spent a lot of time talking about your love adventure and my Tulum dating experiment, but in the vein of that, I went, wait, I just had so much fun doing this thing. Why don't I take the same model and try it with something else? So I just launched again, not knowing how it's going to go. I don't have all the steps figured out. I just had the basic idea, which is uh, the dream client adventure. And I'm giving away a trip for one person it's not romantic this is not a romantic (laughs) my dream client is not romance uh you know the
0: second time you've mentioned romance is everything okay at home yeah (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
2: but i'm taking the exact same model that i use to to find love and find evan and applying it to finding a dream client and seeing if it's a replicatable right can we apply it to other areas of life
0: You're going to have to explain. You're going to have to break this down for me. You have to explain it in words of one syllable. So there's a trip. I heard that part. What? Who gets the trip? The winner of
2: the the winner of the contest gets a a two night, two nights, three days uh, luxury resort in Palm Springs, all expenses paid flight, hotel, food, cocktails, activities that, nights
0: three days that's not much of a trip How about
2: <laughs> i think it's that's enough for you okay. know so how many times do we have coaches in the world now where we that we never actually even get to meet in person right yeah, it's on right. zoom oh on you're gonna be there oh yeah it's me and them yes oh it's a mixed blessing. <laughs> okay yeah yeah um and it's gonna so it's gonna be an intensive essentially one-on-one retreat um, Oh. Yeah. okay Three days, nights
0: with you in this fancy resort, but they're you're working on the clients' what their projects, their being. Well, their it'll be
2: it'll leadership. would be like how we launch the relationship. So after the weekend, they'll work with me for a year. Wow! And is that part the,
0: free, or they got to pay for that part?
2: They they have to pay for that part. They, they'll okay. so, yeah. The, so their commitment, their part is if they win this, they work with me for a year. And it's not like look, we'll do the process to figure out who the best person is to win and who's best for me and them, but. Normally, right, when somebody hires me to work with me for a year, I don't give them a three-day trip, right. all expenses paid. Um, and so I'm, I'm just applying the same things. Like I threw it out there on Monday, threw it online, don't know how it's going to go, started making some content around it today, um, realized I need to build the build, build, a landing page and an application. So I'm, I'm taking the exact same approach. And every time I jump to the future and go, wait, how much is the resort going to cost? How much of the flight? I go, wait, I didn't know that. Right when I did the other experiment, just come back to the present and just kind of follow the excitement. That's nice.
0: I I, I encourage you to to do th- some thinking about the price, only because I'm thinking about what it would be like. That's that's some serious value, right? If I get a flight and a hotel and all my expenses paid, because you know I can drink, uh, and if I also got three days or two days or whatever you're planning with you, that's some expensive stuff, right? That sounds like a thirty, forty thousand dollar thing. Okay. Well, I hope I'm not,
2: if if I'm spending 30 or $40,000 on the weekend, we have a problem, (laughs) (laughs) which I don't think, sorry, that's a normal weekend for me. I don't know. Exactly. Yeah. We're, we're, um, but I I think you're, but to work with, you know, me for a year, we're talking about that price range somewhere in that range anyway, but basically people would pay that and not get this, you know, it's like you win and you get this thing. So I don't know. I have no idea what I'm doing you know, you're gonna tell me what's over the coming weeks, why I'm doing it wrong and how I can do it better and how we can monetize it. But just one uh, more s- service I offer, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anything you wanna share?
0: Uh, No, not in the not in the wake of that. I'm working on a bunch of stuff. I'm very excited about it. I had I had some nice time off everybody out there schedule your vacations. I scheduled a vacation and right up until the time the plane was leaving or I was headed to the airport. I was like, I should cancel this. I got work to do. It's the best thing you can do right. I sat there. I was looking at the ocean. I was thinking thoughts. We need that time. So please everybody take good care of yourselves and get your vacations just block out the week and figure out where you're going, whether or not you go with Alex. That's kind of cool. I'm very eager to hear how that works. But we got to get to our guest. An extraordinary human is with us today. Anything else for you, sir?
2: Before no, we get to I, no, no. Go. No, no. I've taken enough. I've taken enough of your time. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's not really my time. It's the three people who are listening. Uh, gosh, I, I would interview this person just based on their name. You know, uh, let alone their career as an author, a speaker, a coach, and a consultant, a founder of a leadership company uh, who's earned his doctorate in leadership and authored "Getting Unbusy, which Forbes named as one of the seven books everyone on your team should read. I'm delighted to welcome to our microphones and our video, Dr. Garland Vance. Hello, sir. Hello. Thanks so much for having me. Excited to be here today. Thanks for being had, as we like to say now, I do. (laughs) I want to let you know that I I did some pop quizzes with some of my colleagues yesterday and I said uh, Garland Vance, there's if there's a a person named Garland Vance, where does that person live? And two out of three guessed Tennessee. Where
2: where are you?
1: I'm in Tennessee.
2: Perfect. You're (laughs) in the right spot. Man, I would I would have guessed back to the future, like inside a character inside of a film more so than a location. <laughs> nice. But uh, we don't mean
0: to make fun just to have fun with you. Um, You've uh, you've founded a company based on leadership. You've developed leaders for years. You're you're talking about people getting unbusy. Tell us if you could just give everybody who's in a leadership position or about to be in the world one piece of advice, one thing to to change, take on, or do, what would it be?
1: Yeah, if I could only give one piece of advice, the thing that I would say to leaders is your symptoms are not your issues. Um, I think so often as leaders, we begin feeling symptoms that uh, uh, that are connected to the change challenges we're experiencing. Um, so we, you know, I'm tired, I can't get anything done. I, um, my team isn't getting it, We're, you know we're not accomplishing our goals. And, and we think that those are the actual problems when those typically are simply the symptoms and the problems that we're experiencing typically come down to one of seven issues, right? So it, it's character, competence, capacity, clarity, community, culture, consistency. 95% of the times our issues come down to those and the symptoms we're experiencing are just uh, little indicators of of the real issues.
0: Don't, I I I know you went fast with that, but I was keeping score, and I think I got all of those issues. Um, <laughs> I love that, your symptoms are not your issues. Which of those symptoms showed up, or which of those
2: issues, Alex, resonated for you? You gotta. Uh, well, he went, I, Garland, you went really
1: fast, so will you yeah, say it yeah. yeah. again? I, I will, I'll go in slow motion on this one. Uh, so character. Uh, so, so that's actually leadership character, not, not necessarily moral character, but do, are you willing to do the hard thing? Yeah. Uh, se- issue. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Second issue is competence. Do you have the skills that you actually need to lead your team right now? Yeah. Uh, third is capacity. Do you have the time, energy, attention to lead, or are you have your head down in the weeds of execution? The fourth is, is clarity. Is everybody clear on where we're headed and how we're getting there and who's doing what and why it's even important to do that in the first place? Uh, Fifth issue is community. Uh, Do you have trusting relationships built and does, and are you facilitating trusting relationships within the team or the organization that you're leading? Mm. Uh, Sixth issue is culture. Do the habits that your organization has line up with the values that you claim to have? And then the seventh is consistency. Uh, Do people, do you show up the same every day? Do you say the same messages over and over again? Do you, even as you're creating the future and implementing change, are you still creating a consistent team and a consistent organization?
2: So, my, I, well, if, if we're for Christopher, if we're referring to what I just pitched you, right, this this adventure, I think it's community and consistency for me. Mm-hmm. I think those are the two that one is I'm constantly doing new and different things and I'm actually unwilling to stop doing that. So I don't know if it's actually an issue or just something that I agree to part of my life um but yeah that i'm there's constantly different message right at one it's it's love at one point it's money at one point it's it's this dream client at one point it's a podcast right different things um so i think people don't necessarily know like hey what is this guy what is him or his business and then community is i know a lot of people but i don't actually necessarily feel like super connected with a lot of people so i think that um if you, if like on social media or whatnot, there there it's the things that I may throw up aren't necessarily grabbed and shared because there's not the richness of the depth of connection versus like people just know me. Did I do, did I, did I pass your test, Christopher? Did, did we? <laughs>
0: well, I'm eager to hear
2: Gar- uh, Garland's take on it because
0: once, uh, if if I'm picking up what you're laying down, the issue is that most, leaders are trying to address the symptoms without addressing the the underlying cause or the underlying issue, I think is, is your work. And so now that you've identified the issue or that Alex feels like he has, what do we do then? Is this like now the grounds for the coaching work to be done? Is there, do you just... Uh, wag your finger at him? What do we do now?
1: Yeah, yeah. We, we shame him, blame him, you know, say awful things about him, both to his face and behind his back. Uh, doing no, that I mean, yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, so so that's where once we know what the actual uh, issue is, or, you know, we're getting beyond symptoms, that's when we then begin to move into treatment. And, you know, uh, and, and that's where, so if, let's say community was the the really big issue, right? And again, what we're talking about here are leadership issues. So this would be, you know, if you're trying to lead a group of people and you say, gosh, we don't have uh really good trusting relationships. So that's when we would dig into, okay, what are, there are several different types of trust that you need to develop. Let's evaluate the type, the, the, the levels of trust you have with each member of your team. Figure out where those levels are are lacking, and then let's look at your team as a whole. And, and I will say, I think that's one of the big things where I try, where I'm a, a little different. A lot of times in my coaching, is I tend to coach the team. And the leader as a, as a participating member of the team, not, not only the individual leader, I do have some one-on-one clients, but a lot of times it's, it's working with the leader and, uh, his or her team so that they're all growing together. They're knowing what to expect and how to change and grow together.
0: That strikes me as masterful because one of the things we all know as coaches is that when you walk into an existing team, it's one thing if you set up a a group that you're going to coach, like okay, all the left handed uh, basket weavers in my town, right? But if but if we're walking into an existing team, especially inside of an organization where the boss or the principal or the you know head banana is is part of that, it strikes me that you, that it's fraught with peril for the coach because a you're the new meat in an existing power structure and where everybody's worked out their roles. And B, we got the boss there and nobody's going to tell the truth in front of the boss. How do you make that work? Or do yeah. you have any tips for it?
1: Well, I, I think it's owning that pretty pretty early on. Of uh, So I talk a lot of times with with the the head banana, as you say, about the dynamics of power and the challenge that that brings, right? Uh, of if you know, you can't always, as the leader, say exactly what you think, exactly in that moment that you think it, because you bring a level of fear uh, with. You because you can fire any of them at any point, point. and even if you can't fire them at any point, they still think you can, and so you have to bring awareness to a leader uh, around that, um, and and so that's the first first part of it is is really bringing that out with with the leader, but also bringing that out with the team. Um, so even in you know in in the group coaching sessions, a lot of times it's breaking people out. And I will have conversations with the the head banana uh, in those in a breakout session and, and talk with him or her and then uh, let everybody else have their own breakout sessions and then bring them together. And then we're having a conversation together and the leader will say, hey, here's where I, I realized I really need to grow. Here's where I messed up here. That leader goes first and then other people are more free to share.
2: So we're... What I'm curious is what I often find when we, we're having this conversation about leadership because we value it. We know it's important. When I often interact with leaders of organizations, they're too busy to actually do this work, right? We don't have time to, if we just could get our sales or if, if we could just get through this project that we have, then we'll tackle our leadership and teamwork and you know, all the issues we have, but, which never comes, right? Right. never. Never. So, so yeah, and you wrote a book about, right, being unbusy. Uh, yeah. So how how do we even access that point? How do we even get into this conversation when everybody's too busy to even open the door to this?
1: Yeah, well, you know, what's happening when people are are saying we're too busy is unintentionally they're bragging about that, right? Important people in the mind of most people, important people aren't unbusy right they're they're not spending loads of time recreationally right important people unless you're a kardashian important people in our minds are are really really busy
2: they work and, so and, hard there's videos <laughs> about how hard they work and how hard people need to work so they can achieve success like them. they were given nothing
1: you're right <laughs> they, they they built it from the ground up right Uh, From the ivory tower up. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So, so really the first step in, you know, when, 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 when people talk about, oh, if we could just, you know, when things slow down is the first step is that a leader has to decide that busyness is not worth it. Okay. And this is actually the whole reason I stumbled upon busyness and, and getting unbusy is way back in 2013. I started having all of these physical symptoms, right? I was having chronic migraine headaches. I was having heart palpitations, forgetfulness, uh, chronic exhaustion. And I went to my doctor with all of these symptoms and said, Hey, here's what's going on. I'm concerned. Do I have a brain tumor? Right. Is, you know, do I, what in the world is going on? And my doctor said, well, tell me about your life. And I said, it's a good life. It's just really busy. And Dr fortunately had the foresight to say, well, what do you mean by busy? And I was so excited asked that question because it gave me the opportunity to brag about how important I was, right? How my schedule was, was so packed. And so I said, oh, I, I work 50 to 60 hours with a Chick-fil-A nonprofit. I'm working on my doctorate in leadership. That's 10 to 20 hours a week. I'm helping my church start this new leadership development program. That's five to 10 hours a week. I'm happily married. We've got three young kids. They're involved in the community. Oh, and by the way, my mom passed away a year ago. So we've slowed down this." year to give us some time to grieve. Right. And I'm like talking about how awesome I am. And Dr. Tate said, you know, I know exactly what's wrong with you. This is stress. And I got so mad. I got so mad. I was like, I am not a stressed out person. And he said, well, your head disagrees when you have these headaches three times a week. And I said, why would I be so busy? And he said, or why would I be so stressed out? And he said, because you're so busy. And I thought it was full of it. I thought it was ridiculous, but I decided to go back and study it. What is busyness and what is it actually doing to us? And that's why it became the focus of the rest of my doctoral research was because I realized we have to decide that busyness is not the way we're going to live. It's killing us physically, mentally, emotionally, relationally. It hurts our organization, but it feels good. And so we keep doing it. Well, I would point to, I would point to that
0: in my experience, not personally, personally, I'm a lazy person, but uh, in my experience with my spouse, she cannot sit down. Do you know what I mean? And do nothing. Like, it's kind of like, that was my major in college, so I'm really good at it, but she (laughs) will not, does not. So I want to, I want to ask you about that kind of thing, because there's some sort, I hear you pointing to the, sort of red badge of courage it is, right? Like, uh, okay, I'm so busy, right? (laughs) If one only has to go to New York, everybody's busy, but it's all for a good reason. Um, (laughs) But so I hear that like proud or sort of important feeling. But I want to also point to that there's a real compulsion for a lot of people to stay or be or get busy, isn't there?
1: Yeah. Yeah, there is. And and I want to separate. There's a difference between being unbusy and being inactive, right? So a lot of times inactive, that and that's what people think, right? They think, well, what am I going to do? Just go sit on the beach and, and sip margaritas all day. Yeah, that sounds great. How am I going to make a life with that? I know you just got back from the beach. So, I, you know, that sounds like a, a good, good week. There is a difference between unbusy and inactive. Unbusy, what that means is that you have narrowed your priorities and narrowed your focus so that that is taking up the overwhelming majority of time. Okay. So, so it begs the question, what is busyness? Well, busyness is an overcommitment to too many good commitments. And you probably see this in organizations and you see this in people's lives all the time. None of us are busy doing bad things unless you're a dictator or a drug dealer, right? You're busy doing things that are good. You're doing things that are, that you enjoy doing. But when you put all of that together, it becomes bad. It's kind of like going to a buffet. Uh, At least when I was in middle school, I would do this all the time, right? You go to a buffet and there's fried chicken and salad and ice cream and steak and all of this good food. But by the time I was done visiting and eating all of that good food, it became very, very bad and I'd be sick to my stomach for you know a couple of hours. That's what busyness does to us. So busyness is not about inactivity. It's really about saying, what are the few things that are absolutely critical in my professional life and in my personal life, and how do I eliminate other good opportunities in pursuit of doing what's really most important.
0: And I I have a follow-up, which is, so not only is there sort of a compulsive nature to many people, but I think in an organizational setting, I know, I know it's true in my organization, if you're willing, you'll get it assigned, right? If you don't have a good I'm too busy defense built and somebody says, hey, we need somebody and you say, oh, I could do that. You're not only getting that, you're getting the next nine things. So anybody with a healthy, good capacity gets instantly inundated, which until I assume they hit their capacity, at which point they collapse. Right. (laughs) And then we've got like, oh, you know, we don't talk about Bruno. Right. We got we got something we point to and talk behind their back about instead of actually addressing what any anything that your research or work has shown about that. In other words, the the people who are kind of gung ho or willing to take things on end up getting overburdened eventually.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So in, in a situation like that, what you really need to do is, a- as the leader, you work with your people ahead of time to establish what are the three or fewer priorities for me for the next week, for the next month, for the next quarter, right? What are the, those three or fewer priorities that I absolutely must concentrate on? And then you as the leader have to give permission to your team that when you, know, when you go to somebody and you say, hey, I got this project, I need you to w- work on it, I know you're always willing, that that, that person can, can look at you and say, hey, Christopher, here's the three priorities we agreed on how do I need to rearrange my priorities to make room for that? And you might not look, but, because what we often forget is our leaders are, are not necessarily thinking about, constantly thinking about the priorities for each moving part, each member of their team. And so it, it's really on the, the direct report on, on his or her back to say, hey, here's the, the priorities we agreed on. I'm willing to move those around. I just need your help to reassess what's most important.
2: I love this. And I'm, it's bringing me back to when I first started coaching and I felt like I had to be so busy, but it was the opposite, right? It was from, an, it was from insecurity because I didn't have the clients. I didn't have the business. So I had to generate busy to feel like I was important and the thought that busy would get me eventually right to that thing. And what what you're sharing and what I really notice is... I've hit a point probably two ish years ago where all of a sudden I looked at the things, the priorities and went, yeah, I could just not do that. Like, I just don't (laughs) have to do that. No one's going to know if I don't do it tomorrow, like it won't make a difference. And, and, and I started to move forward and look at things like that and to say, Th- all of a sudden things just fell off. And now you, I look at my, what I have to do and the things that have to get done are actually important things. My dog is uh, co-conspir- <laughs> co-conspiring here with, you know, t- telling on me um, how do people figure? Cause I think that that's something people get afraid of. Right. I, for whatever reason was willing to just say, you know what? Oh my God. My dog is like, you're lying. You're lying. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Um, uh, but I was willing to let go. Of things and trust that it would be okay, yeah. but everyone isn't willing to do that. How do people? Yeah. How do people really look? in everything seems important. So how do they decipher what is and what
1: isn't? Yeah. So I, there's really kind of two parts to that. To 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 that question. The, the first is the underlying part, right? The the emotional part of it. So when I first started researching busyness, I thought, you know, this is a calendar issue. It's a time management issue it's not a time management issue. There are actually three reasons that we really stay stuck in busyness. Three, inhibiting beliefs that keep us trapped. I need to be more, I need to do more, and I need to get more. And so maybe the best way to illustrate this is what happens to me, even though I'm an unbusy advocate, What happens to me when I go into a bookstore, right? I love bookstores. As soon as I walk into a bookstore, I'll go to the leadership section or I'll go to the, you know, the personal growth section. And I look at these books about how to be a better dad, how to get stronger, how to be a better leader, all of these things, right? How to grow your business faster, how to scale it, everything. And every book actually triggers this inhibiting belief of I need to be more. You know, my my shoulder muscles aren't big enough. I should be working out harder. I'm not a good enough dad. I need to be a better boss, right? So I have this trigger of I need to be more. Well, as soon as I have that trigger, that identity issue, then it goes to an activity issue. So not only do I need to be more, now I need to do more. I need to read this book. I need to work out more. I need to, and we never think about subtracting. we always think about adding more stuff into our lives. And then that leads to this third inhibiting belief of I need to get more and I need to get more could be physical stuff, right? Like I need to get more books. I need to get more knowledge, but it can also be experiential. I need to get more vacation and I need to get more experiences around the world. And so, so the, the first, Part of this this answer, Alex, is is really understanding that busyness comes from these inhibiting beliefs, and we have to replace those inhibiting beliefs with empowering truths. You know, uh, little things. It can be little things. I remember, you know, for me, one of those inhibiting beliefs is I'm not a good enough dad. I'm not a good enough dad. I need to be a better dad. I need to be a better dad. And I had to come to the realization that bad dads don't think about being good dads. That only good dads actually care about being good dads, and so it was this moment of being like, "Hey, I I actually am a good dad. Yeah, I'd like to be better, but I, I'm a good dad. I'm not going to pull my kids on this, but <laughs> you know, but but <laughs> I can I can embrace that identity. So that's a big part of it." is really coming to the the point of saying, before you even get to prioritization or anything, there's some internal work that we've got to do to change the narratives that we tell ourselves about busyness. Christopher McAuliffe
0: is your source for the latest in the world of personal coaching. Whether it be speaking with such luminaries as Deepak Chopra or getting the newest techniques and innovation, the coaching show is always on the cutting edge of what's happening now.
1: The coaching show is brought to you by Accomplishment Coaching, home of the world's finest coach training program. Here is Christopher McAuliffe, master certified coach. It's
0: really great. I thought you had it, Alex. No, no
2: follow up. I, I, I can, I can, I mean, I can go, you could just, you could leave, I could just go for better places than this, pal. <laughs>
0: yeah. um, no,
2: go, go, go for it. Well, so, so
0: it sounds like it's getting worse, right? These, we have these inhibiting beliefs, how am I going to address my beliefs? Do, you know, do I need therapy? Do I need, you know, shock treatment? What do we do with this? So um, I know that in your book, you've got of sort of a five step plan. Can you share any of those steps with us?
1: Yeah, absolutely. In fact, we've already talked about two of the steps without you even knowing it. So step one is you have to decide, right? You decide that busyness isn't worth it, that you're gonna get unbusy. Step two is where you do you deconstruct. Uh, all these steps start with D, you deconstruct. So deconstruct, the first thing you need to deconstruct are some inhibiting beliefs uh, and some bad habits, right? That leads to the third step. And the third step is all about design. Designing the life that you want to live. Now, a lot of times though, when, when people talk about designing the life you wanna live, they're talking about dreams and priorities, but there's actually something you need to do before that and that's design the pace that you want to live your life at like i love and i'll give you an example before i go to the the fourth and the fifth step Um, for me, the further I go into the week, the worse I become mentally, right? By the time I've hit Thursday afternoon, I'm a shell of myself. And so I had to, as I was starting up my my business, I really had to ask the question, do I want to work five days a week or do I actually show up worse because i i work five days a week so i i ended up designing my schedule so i actually get started around five o'clock in the morning i'm finished about five o'clock in the afternoon i only work monday through thursday and then i'm done friday through sunday that's designing the 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 pace of life that you want to live once we design the pace then we can start looking and saying okay now how do i design the the dreams and the priorities that can fit into that Sorry, that was a little tangent, but that leads to step No, forward. it's a great example.
0: And by the way, it makes you a great dad having Fridays off. Go ahead.
1: <laughs> well, integrate. My my wife and I, I take a date every Friday. Like that's and we have a date day and then we're done with the date and our kids come home and we end up having a great weekend. And so I'm I don't know if I'm a great dad yet, but but I'm I'm but habits and practices Friday, yeah. in there. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So step four, after you've designed the life, step four is develop. Now, that's when we get into things like, okay, how do you manage your time to actually accomplish the pace that you want to live at and the dreams and the priorities that you you want? Um, How do you design a morning routine so it gives you energy? How do you uh, design calendar? And then the fifth step in all that is you draw others in. So what we found is as people get unbusy, it's so countercultural from how everyone else is living that they almost have to become evangelists to their family and their friends and their coworkers to say, this is how I've chosen to live. I want to invite you into it because life is a lot more meaningful full um, and, and you know, one of the things we, we really try to help people understand is busyness is an attempt to get more out of life by cramming more into life <laughs> but the more that we cram the less we get out Right? it's, it's that old adage of you got to slow down you got to stop you got to smell the roses you can't stop and smell the roses if you're constantly uh, busy uh, so, so that's where that fifth step comes in of drawing others in
2: I love when people come on this show that are much more smarter than me, <laughs> Validate <laughs> the way that I know. Right. I had, to, I had to sell that and validate the way that I'm living this like yeah. adventurous vacation lifestyle, build a lifestyle around making your life feel like it's a vacation. There's something to this. I didn't know there was. Yeah. Um. Okay. So I, I love that point at the end where you said that, that, and I don't have the word evangelicalize basically right the the lifestyle you have Anyone who's operating outside of the norm ha- has to do that yep what do we do right the, uh, what I notice is that fear is what's gonna mess with people. I can't take Fridays off unwilling too busy what are my clients gonna say people are gonna right how do for, for the people that are starting and going wait I want to take Fridays off like you and Christopher and live this great life or I want to end work at 2 p.m. so I can be there for my kids but my clients aren't going to buy it you know my employees are going to start calling me lazy if I leave and they're still at work how do you even get what do people do with that fear like what's the how do you approach fear from your leadership standpoint
1: Yeah. So, so I think, so whenever I'm dealing with fear, I think you're absolutely right. Like there's a lot of fear. What are people going to think about me? So, so the first thing that I think you always have to do with fear is you have to actually be able to name it. Right. Uh, One of my one of my professors, uh, my uh, doctoral professors would always say, if you can name it, you can own it. If you can own it, you can take care of it. So what is it that we're actually afraid of? That's the, that's first thing we do. Like, what is it that you're actually afraid of? Are you afraid of what people are going to think about you? Uh, how are you even going to know what they're going to think about you? What specifically are you afraid that they're going to think? Are you, you're afraid that they're going to think you're, you, uh, you're lazy. I had to deal with that a ton, right? Like people are going to think I'm lazy with that. So, so once we've named the fear, then it's, well, okay, let's ask this question. What's on the other side of that fear, right? So if you're afraid that people are going to think you're lazy and you stay exactly where you are, you know what that feels like. You're tired, you're exhausted, you're overwhelmed, you're unhappy. What might be on the other side of that fear? What's that look like? Well, <laughs> actually my, my friends are jealous because they don't get to take Fridays off. Um, I have more time with my family and friends. I get to live life like I'm on vacation. Okay. So now it's a choice. Which future do you want to invest in? Which future do you want to believe in? And I mean, we had to do this. One one of the things that that our family did, we were living in Texas when I was writing, getting unbusy in, in the Houston area. And we loved the people we were living with, but we did not like the location. And, and for, for both my wife and I, location is very meaningful. We wanted mountains and we wanted hiking and nature. And, um, and so we said, you know what? We're going to pack up and we're going to move to East Tennessee, not because a job is taking us there, but because our dreams are taking us there and then we'll build the life around our dreams. And people were like, you're freaking nuts. (laughs) I mean, everybody was like, you can't do that. And, but, but at the end of the day, it was, well, I can say we can stay stuck and, and stay miserable, or we can invest in this future that we believe will, will turn out better. That's where I think you've got to to really push people in their fear is what's the future. If you stay stuck, what's the future. If you try it, which future are you willing to take a risk on, Christopher? We were—I we, feel like we were just talking about this, where
2: people are so invested in their in their fear, right? right. They're so dug in and invested on their trauma, their fear, um, and not to right, not to not to kind of brush aside what the experiences people have had. But I love the idea that like you, some of us get more invested in that than the possibility of something outside of it.
0: And and you're a really good example of that, Alex. Because this, um, you know, this dating adventure thing that you did, where you, uh, forgive me, Garland, but so what Alex did is he kind of created his own like bachelor game where he had this tickets to this amazing vacation, and he wanted people to submit their friends or or relations to be his date for this and so there was this whole thing and he didn't get to choose he had these other judges that (laughs) knew him and interviewed the candidates and like that and it turned out not only did the vacation go well but the relationship's going really well and he's Mm. actually just moved in with his sweetheart and and we should find out how that's going maybe another time but just give (laughs) us a just give us a, <laughs> a, a slightly thumbs up or, okay good.
1: okay two thumbs so, up two thumbs up good
0: <laughs> but that could have gone horribly wrong in 17 different ways right still might we don't know but um same thing with your new project right this client thing this could go terribly wrong maybe somebody mm-hmm. spends the weekend and decides they don't want to work with you for the year or you know there's probably a thousand other ways it could go wrong what i'm pointing to is you have some sort of eternal optimism or, or eternal possibility-based thinking that has you willing to take on the next and the next and the next. And Garland, I heard it in yours too, right? We're gonna to move to East Tennessee. Now your friends weren't wrong, right? That was potentially you know, fraught with peril, right? Yeah, and, absolutely. And <laughs> I think it's important. <laughs> for us to what all of this to say the following, which is, I think it's important for us to be willing to acknowledge if something doesn't work right if you if you had gotten to Tennessee and said no too many bugs we got to go back. Um, you would have given yourself that permission is what I'm hearing and Alex you too like if this thing fails miserably you'll be willing to be public about it take whatever the learning is and then move on is that fair.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that's the that's the thing that has the fear not be real is, well, if this goes wrong, I'm not going to lose a, li- I won't be dead, I won't lose a limb, and I and I won't hurt anybody else, right? There's no, right. the fear is simply, people might think things, right? right, or have opinions or judgments, or I might think things about myself or whatnot. Um, you just said something too, I, the eternal optimism thing, and I, Garland, I'm curious for you. For me, it's something I have had to beat into myself as a practice. To me, it occurs exactly like fitness, but it's mental fitness. In the, if you, Christopher, you met me seven, eight years ago. I was not an eternal optimist. I was why everything, and I still have that, that will still show up from time to time. But for the last seven, eight years, the books I read, the documentaries I watch, the people I surround myself with, are people that think and see the world the way I want to. So that little by little, it's like I'm, it, I'm, I'm like little by little lobotomizing out those pieces of my brain that don't serve me, and putting in, plugging in the pieces that I do. And I think I can't say why, right? I just that for me, I had to, I had to change my life, and I go, I had to go on that route, um, but. For other people, I think that is the thing. It's not going to be easy to ignore the fear or be an optimist. You, we, we work that in. We practice that over time. And then all of a sudden it becomes more natural. Is that yeah. How has it been for you?
1: Yeah, I think for me, I wouldn't call it that I, I'm an eternal optimist, um, though I, I love that. I, I love the idea of it. I would say that what I have had to learn is a sense of adventure. And adventure, if you watch any adventure movie, there is there is a goal that you're trying to reach. And then there are a ton of oh, or to use Christopher's word, it is fraught with peril. There are a ton of challenges, of potential, you know, deadly situations. And, and so for me, it's it's been really kind of taking this sense of adventure of I'm I'm going to risk a little bit more than I would naturally, because the adventure. Of life is actually worth it and if it ends up going bad to your point alex hopefully i don't lose a limb hopefully i don't lose a loved one hopefully i don't lose my life but that is all part of the adventure that that we're dealing with and so i've got to accept some of the 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 valleys along with the peaks it's so great
0: I want to, um, I know that we've been talking to you, but let's talk about you because people can (laughs) can work with you and it's, it's really extraordinary to talk to somebody who's willing to coach teams in organizations, right? Because so many of us are including myself, you know, I want the, I want the beautiful room with just me and my client, right? I don't want all those other interlopers. So as you work with leaders as well as teams in beating their business in, in taking themselves on. and. how do people best work with you? We should reach out to Advance, Advance, get it? Leadership Live, dot live I live, should say, yeah. Advanced Leadership dot Live, or is there a better way?
1: Yeah, that's the best way or you can you can reach me on on LinkedIn as well. I've been a little so I I actually disengaged for a little bit from from LinkedIn because of uh, some busy challenges that our family was going through and uh, our organization good challenges, but right you had to do that. But LinkedIn is also a great way you can just find me at Dr. Garland Vance and connect with me there.
0: And we should let people know that's G A R L A N D and Vance is V-A-N-C-E, just like the Vance in leadership. Live. I love that. Is it live or live? Advanced not leadership live. Dot
1: .live, yeah, live, live. not okay, live. Great.
0: And um, you've got a wonderful gift for one of our lucky listeners today, which is a copy of your book, Getting Unbusy. Uh, wow. Pick a number between one and 15.
1: 15 or 50?
0: Uh, any of them. Let's go with okay. 15, okay. 15,
1: yeah, one five.
0: Pick a number. Okay, I'll, I'll pick number 14. Very good. So if you are number 14 to email producer at thecoachingshow.com, that's producer at show. com, you will win a free copy of Getting Unbusy from Dr. Garland Vance. Thank you so much for that. That is very generous of you. My pleasure. Um, so uh, we were just before I did that little commercial for you or promo, we were talking about this sort of sense of adventure but i'm really hearing it as resilience too is that something that is important when we talk about busyness and and sort of the alternative being unbusy or focused is resilience important if so how
1: well it's it's interesting i would say that resilience is absolutely critical but it has to be very nuanced so currently like if you think about resilience training right now what it what it means is you should be able to withstand more and more and more and more pressure right and and not pop it's kind of like if you've ever seen you know one of those youtube videos where somebody takes a watermelon and they begin to, they put a rubber band around it and then they put a second and then they put a third and they speed it up and there's a thousand rubber bands and finally the watermelon pops. What what I keep seeing in modern resilience training is this, you should be able to take more rubber bands, right? And and there's no acknowledgement that we do have a, a limited capacity on the number of rubber bands we can handle. <laughs> and so I, I would say resilience is absolutely, critical but resilience doesn't mean more and more rubber bands resilience means you pick the the few rubber bands that you want and you are resilient in continuing to go after them go after it go after it so that that it's not a quantity it's a quality Does that make sense? I hope that makes sense.
0: No, it's totally. And I I haven't seen the rubber band thing. It actually um, uh, put me in an odd frame of mind, though. I was thinking about we all saw the big slap right a week or two weeks ago on on the Oscars. Everybody's got an opinion and I'm not going to go too far down there, except that I saw Jim Carrey's comment. And what he talked about was the amount of pressure and stress that very famous people are sort of constantly under and he owned it said look we do this to ourselves right we're under stress because we put ourselves there but also spoke to the impact of it because you and I even even as known or as notable as you are can enjoy some privacy and make mistakes in the you know <laughs> <laughs> right. Unless we work at Subway, in which case, if, if we could see the mistake you made on my sandwich, but, um, <laughs> but you know, our, our errors are mostly or can be hidden from sight. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering if there's something you see in that whole notion about this. I love what you've said about resilience, but about just the stress that we put ourselves under, especially as we get more leadership or notoriety and more people are looking.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think so. So so the higher you go in leadership, the more people are paying attention to you, right? Because they're paying the the more people you're influencing. And so, uh, you know, the CEO of a fortune 500 company is going to have a lot more criticism than somebody like me, who's the CEO of a very small company. Um, so, so, so I I think one, you have more Eyeballs on you, and as a result of that, I think we go back to those inhibiting beliefs. I need to be more. I need to set the example. I need to show them how hard I'm working. I they can't see me taking a vacation. They can't see me taking a rest. They can't see me, God forbid, taking thinking time to slow down and think through the the biggest issues. And so, because of that, I think a lot of times the leaders end up giving themselves a narrative of, I need to be the busiest person in the room so that everyone else will follow my example. And that it's just an inhibiting belief. You, especially if you say, I would always say to, to teams I've led in the past, I would say, listen, servant, me serving as a leader means that I serve particularly in the areas where only I can serve. So that doesn't mean if I'm running a restaurant and I'm the, the, you know, the, the CEO of that restaurant that I'm always out making the sandwiches. I'm always doing that. Sometimes I got to be the person who's building relationships in the community so that more people want to come to our restaurant. Um, so I, I think that's a huge part of it is, is really dealing with those inhibiting beliefs. This has been really fun. Um, I love the right,
2: like that we 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 got into watermelon YouTube videos <laughs> um, <laughs> and resilience and inhibiting beliefs and fear and busy. Like we just touched on so many different things that I think coaches, leaders, entrepreneurs are are dealing with on a regular basis. Um, and you gave us some really tangible ways that people can practice snippets from your book. What do you? What have What have we not given you the opportunity to share with us? What do? You, what's the? This, your soapbox moment, the final thing you can say without us, you know, that you yeah. want to share um, that we don't even know to ask you about.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So here's the soapbox that I would say is if you, as, as a leader, as a coach, as an entrepreneur, whatever it is, if, if you complain about how exhausted you are, overwhelmed, you are stressed out. You are, if you complain about those things and at the same time, brag about how busy you are. It is the equivalent of bragging that you smoke two packs of cigarettes a day and complaining that you have lung cancer. There is a difference between the issue that you're or the symptom and the actual issue. And the symptoms are diminished productivity, stress, exhaustion, overwhelm. The, the actual issue that's causing that is that you have too many good commitments and you got to get unbusy.
0: It's beautiful. I I would love to end on that, but we've got to ask you about the hats. You've got quite a beautifully displayed hat collection behind you, <laughs> along with all of the accolades, family photos, and books. What's with the hats?
1: Yeah. So, um, I love weird logos. Love weird logos. I've always been attracted to to logos and to to design. And so, about two years ago, I um, I, I started noticing in myself that I, uh, I I didn't do a good job of rewarding myself when I accomplished something that I wanted to accomplish. It was like you know the the accomplishment was enough for me, and I should be happy with that. But I would forget every day. I would forget. Oh gosh, like here's what I accomplished yesterday. So anyway, that's a long way of saying. Um, each of those hats, not not every one of them, but most of these hats, were attached to uh, a goal that I set, whether it was a financial goal or something else. And adding a new cool hat was kind of my pin penulti- or my ultimate. A reward to myself uh, for that. So they're crazy, they're weird. I mean, you can see you, you, there's a um, George Washington hat where he has champagne pouring over his his head to um, a disco turkey, like a, a a peacock that's in a disco suit. There's really weird hats. I love them. I wear them uh, every day. But but that's what that's, that's all about. That's this is-
0: so great, and I love that it could be from anywhere, just a, an odd or an unusual logo. Uh, Alex, you were part of the. Disco Turkeys for a while, weren't you? Yeah, I was uh,
2: it was their starting pitcher, Disco Turkey. Uh... Are you serious? No, 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 no. no <laughs> okay,
1: no, no, no. I was um, like, no, they just started.
2: <laughs> no, no, but I have a, um, a Hartford Yard Goats hat across from me, which a lot of people are, it's every once in a while, someone will go, are you from Hartford? And I'm like, no. And I realize I'm wearing this hat with a goat on it and why, um, but I am with you. I love minor league baseball hats because, you know, if you wear a Dodger hat, a Padres hat or any team, someone's got to say that I just don't want to deal with humans like in that (laughs) interaction. But if I wear a minor league hat, nobody knows anything. Mm -hmm. and, And maybe they go, oh, that's interesting and whatnot. Yeah. I don't know if you know, have you ever heard of the clink room?
1: Uh-uh, Clink Room. I have not. think
2: C-L-I-N, or I think it's like Clink Room. But if you if you Google it or look it up, it is, they basically have partnered with New Era and they give any designers the opportunity to design logos on hats. And then if enough people pre-order, the hat actually gets made and printed. And if it doesn't, it doesn't go, but it's a one time, the hat will never get printed again. So yeah. they have wild, they don't represent teams, Right. Right they're just but they all look like they represent
1: teams oh those man really all cool right as stuff. soon as we hang up that's I'm, right <laughs> i'm going on there as soon yep. as we hang up yep.
2: if, if you follow them on social media they show like every week they have like they're on mondays i think they have the release of the hats for that week and on fridays is like the those hats go away forever if they're not like bought that's or that's amazing
1: don't, that yeah, is amazing very, very cool
2: and tune in next week for another edition of The Hatch Show. Um,
0: I'm so <laughs> grateful that you're with us, Garland Vance. Thank you for being with us. You have a doctorate in leadership. The book is Getting Unbusy, which Forbes says is one of the seven books everyone on your team should read. And, of course, the website is advance, get it, advance, advanceleadership.live, advanceleadership.live, or .live if you prefer, advanceleadership.live. <laughs> Thank you so much for being with us. My and pleasure pleasure thank you thank you both for being with us. That's another edition of the Coaching Show. Alex Terranova, you can find him at thedreammason.com. And I want to shout out to our longtime 20 years they've been a a sponsor of this show, Accomplishment Coaching. If you're interested in the world's finest coach training program, go check out Accomplishment Coaching. They have both virtual and in-person trainings available for your participation now. Anything else for you Alex before we let the people go?
2: No. No, you can let them go, but there's nothing else for me. Thanks. Thank you so much for being with us, gentlemen.
0: And thank you, dear listener. We will talk to you next week.
1: That's it for today's episode. Thanks for listening to The Coaching Show. We will talk to you next week.